The sermon title says, The Exploitation of Jesus. Earlier this year, uh, a survey uh, was done by the consumer group, which, and uh, it surveyed 10,000 people, and uh, the results came in, and it was asking them about various retail uh, outlets, and again, for the eighth year in a row, the results showed that the retail chain, W.S. Smith, was voted the worst retailer on the UK high street. Just, you just, none of you guys seem to like that sort of thing. You don't seem to like W.S. Smith for some reason. Well, what's wrong with W.S. Smith? The, the consumers complain that W.S. Smith sells things which are out of date. Yeah, I've seen that. And they're very expensive. Huh? You're going to try and buy a book there. Uh, you'll cut your, hands off, your arm off. They're very expensive. And, and apparently, I've never experienced this, that the staff in W.S. Smith, they are the most rude of all the shops. Apparently. I have to say the local one, I know the lady who works there, and she's very nice to me when I go there. That's what the consumer uh, results came in, came out. And the one thing that annoys people about W.S. Smith, apparently, is that they are notorious for exploiting consumers at hospitals. Uh, we are told, of course, that people go, most people when they are in the, go to the hospital, sometimes you want to buy something, don't you? Um, but apparently the prices there in hospitals at W.S. Smith stores, they are always more expensive than the average store. Exceptionally so. Now, as I thought about this, to be fair, W.S. Smith are not the only one who are pricey at hospitals. Uh, the NHS does a good job of doing that already. Uh, just try packing at one of these hospitals. And, uh, but you are not here this morning to hear me complain about overpricing. As much as I'm tempted to talk about that, uh, you're not here for that. But as I thought about that story, it did remind me, and I hope it reminds you that none of us like to be exploited by others. All of us want to be treated in a fair way, in a loving way. And no one here, sat here this morning, wants to be used and abused by someone else. Uh, we do not want that. We don't want to simply be a means to their end. We don't want that. Have you ever thought about where that sense of self-worth comes from? Well, it comes from that inner knowledge, isn't it? That we are made in the image of God. And God himself is full of self-worth, and he has endowed that self-worth in us as his creatures. And so just as God deserves respect uh, for who he is, so the creatures he has made also deserve to be respected. Now, the problem is that the people who exploit others, who exploit us, are also just human beings like us, right? So immediately we realize that we demand respect, but yet there are times in which we exploit others. Uh, this is the inconsistency at the heart of the sinner. The sinner knows what is good and would like to experience it, but at the same time the sinner finds him or herself helpless. It finds him or herself just doing the same thing that they rather not do. So in one sense, we are the exploited, and also we are the exploiters. And as I thought about that, and as we think about that carefully, if you think about it carefully, you will realize that the person we exploit most is God. Who is allowing you to breathe at this moment? God. By the time I finish this sentence... God has taken away the breath of six people 
in the world, but preserved your life right now. Is that truth you just had going to stop you sinning later in the day? Of course not. We are all natural born exploiters of God. And we see this exploitation of God, especially in how the people treat Jesus in the past and today. Now, we are currently in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. This Mark is one of the four gospel narratives of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And last week, we, we left Jesus exchanging words with the Pharisees. They had those words exchanged in the cornfield in the morning. And they exchanged words again in the evening. Or rather, the Pharisees were silent and Jesus was speaking because he could see their hearts. And we left at verse 6 of chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, verse 6. We left the Pharisees reaching a breaking point. They have had enough of Jesus. And uh, a bit like in the movie John Wick, the Pharisees have gone away and put out a contract on Christ. They, they want him dead. And that's the situation Jesus is now in. But that's not the only problem Jesus has, that people are out to kill him. Uh, the, Jesus has a new problem now. He has also become very popular with people. And the, the problem is, that's a good thing, I guess, to be popular. But the problem is that the people are not just interested in Jesus for who he is. They are interested in what Jesus can give them. They want to use Jesus. So this morning, look with me at Mark chapter 3 in your Bibles. Uh, and we look at verse 7 to verse 12. We are going to look at Jesus first running with this crowd, this great crowd that is now beginning to follow him. And we'll learn what it teaches us about the dangers of exploiting Jesus. Look with me at verse 7. There are three points I want to just share from this passage about this issue. The first truth I want us to see is that many people, many people are drawn to Jesus. It's just a fact. Many people are drawn to Jesus. Look at verse 7. Mark starts this passage by telling us that Jesus is withdrawing with his disciples to the sea. He's going to have a bit of um, withdrawing from, from, this, from, from them. Uh, he's withdrawing for a bit of time off, I guess. He just wants to get away a bit from the limelight. Let's read verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples uh, to the sea. We just paused there. And as I thought about this verse... I remember that over the summer, Teresa May went on a walking holiday in northern Italy. You may remember that. She does this every year, actually. Well, she's been there for a second year, actually. Uh, but as soon as she arrived, <laughs> the media, it's almost like they were there before she got there. Uh, they were taking photos of her, so many photos. And they were publishing these photos. And in the, one of the photos, they were claiming that she looked very bored. I, I, there's a newspaper which is at all photos just to prove that Theresa May was not having fun on her holidays. She looked very bored, and she should come back and sort out Brexit. And as I thought about those photos, it reminded me that when you're famous, there is just no getting away from people. Everyone wants a piece of you. And that's what seems to be happening to Jesus here. But on a larger scale... He's withdrawing to have some time off, but the word is out. Jesus is by the sea, somewhere around the Sea of Galilee. And the people come. Let's read on verse 7. And a great crowd followed, that's in verse 7, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. <laughs> this massive crowd has turned up from everywhere. 
Now, imagine if you are a journalist for the Capernaum Times, and you are, you are a bit like going around taking photos of Jesus. You are following him to see what he's up to. As you look at this crowd, which is now following him, what do you see? Well, first of all, you realize that you are by the sea, uh, by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's bordered by eels, so this crowd, probably you're looking out at, is spread all over from the sea all the way to perhaps to the eels. And so you're trying to find your way to Jesus, and perhaps as you elbow your way forward uh, to the front, you're asking people, where have you come from? Uh, why are you here? Um, somebody tells you, well, you know, I live in Sidon. Sidon is 50 miles from here. Uh, we heard about this man, Jesus is doing all these miracles. We need help. Our daughter is unwell. That's why we are here. And perhaps you elbow your way forward again and you push your way, you come to another group. They tell you, we have come from Idumea. That's 120 miles south. Now remember, they can't jump in Uber, in a taxi and get there. They, they have traveled massive distance. And so as you look around, you notice not just the distance they've come across from, but you notice there are different races here. There are Gentiles, there are different you know, people of different colors of skin, they've come from different sides. Young, old, people are well, some are not well. They, they are all here. They have been drawn to Jesus like a magnet. And so you pause and you think, what's going on here? Well, as we think about that, we realize that what Mark is reporting to us about Jesus 2,000 years ago remains true today. <laughs> Jesus draws people to himself. People just love Jesus, the person, sometimes. They, they, they come to him for whatever reason. Jesus is the most famous and most likable person in all human history, period. Believers, non-believers, it's a fact. I, I personally don't think I've ever met a person who has been offended or had anything terrible to say about Jesus as a person. I mean, I've heard people that say something about Muhammad. I've heard people that, who complain about Zoroastria or some, some character defect about them. But I've never met anyone who had anything horrible to say about Jesus, his character. I'm not saying this doesn't happen, but people seem drawn to Jesus. Two Saturdays ago, Brother Michael and his, and his dear wife, Sister John, they were coming out of a taxi um, as they were being dropped off by the taxi man. And I heard the taxi man say, what? He says, he says you, know, you know, we should do good to others, isn't it? That's what Jesus said, the taxi man said. That's what it's all about. Now, his theology is wrong. But you can see this man is not a believer, knows of Jesus, and recognizes that Jesus was all good as a person. And you find that with many people. And as you think about that, you realize actually that everybody recognizes something unique about Jesus. Yeah, they, they can't put their finger on it. Right? But they recognize that they can't find fault in him. And guess what? Even in the gospel, no one found fault in Jesus. And it remains the case today. And that's why, um, normally when we're talking to people, how do you share the gospel? We had this conversation, isn't it, during the week. What do we say? We just say, point people to who Jesus is. Just talk to them about Jesus. You see, they'll get excited about him. Because people are naturally somehow drawn to the person of Jesus. I'm not saying they're following him, but they're drawn to him. And that is a good thing. But there's a problem, though, with that. You see, many people are drawn to Jesus, not for Jesus. They recognize he's unique, but they are not following Jesus for Jesus. 
They're actually drawn to Jesus just to exploit Jesus. That's a sad reality. And that's the second truth we see in these verses. The truth number one, many people are drawn to Jesus, but there's a but here. But many people come to Jesus to exploit him. Many people come to Jesus to exploit him. Let's rejoin the crowd there. Um, when we look at this crowd surrounding Jesus here, we are impressed, aren't we, with their commitment. 120 miles on a donkey, on foot, they've come to see him. We are amazed that they have needs they want Jesus to deal with and they see something of his power. But when we go around interviewing them, something troubling, a troubling picture begins to emerge. It begins to form. We see that the people are not here for Jesus. They are here for themselves. Let's read on verse 8. Let's read on verse 8. In the middle. When the crowd heard all that he was doing, isn't it, verse 8, they came to him. I just want to point out here that the key phrase is that all that he was doing, they have not come to hear Jesus preach. They have come to Jesus because it's a miracle vending machine. Now, their needs are genuine. But, but they seem to have no concern for Jesus at all. To the point that now that they're around Jesus, you see what happens is that they're, they're now even pushing Jesus now into the sea to the point that Jesus is now very concerned for his safety. Let's read verse 9 to verse 10. And he told his disciples, they are gathering around him, he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. As I thought about this, I tried to imagine this scene. It's a bit like a scene I like to say from World War Z. You can imagine these people, they're just like kind of zombies around Jesus. They're crowding him out. They just want to touch him and get healed by him. There's no concern for Jesus to the point that Jesus, the Son of God, who's fully man, he's concerned about his safety. He's concerned about that. Now, this is not a point I wanted to make this morning, but it's there. I just want to make it as a side point. I find it very encouraging, by the way, as a side point, this is a bonus point, that Jesus here asks his disciples for help to make a boat ready. Now, the point I'm working here is that Jesus uses common sense and he relies on what we would call the new community. We'll talk about that this evening. He's living his life as fully man, even though he's fully God. He could have just zapped them like, uh, I don't know, Captain America or something, or chucked them out or something. But he's relied on help, right? I think this is telling us something about how we, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should live your life. Brothers and sisters, we have the Holy Spirit and your common sense. There are many issues you're facing in your life. I just want to ask some of you, because I see some of you in your own life, and I'm thinking... Are you applying common sense to the situation you're in? Are you? Jesus is applying it here. Please don't wait for a voice from heaven to tell you you're being pressed around. Jesus doesn't. He uses his common sense. And guess what else he uses? He uses the people of God around him. The disciples. Two gifts there I just want to point out. This is a bonus point. Common sense God has given you and God's people. If God's people are telling you, this is difficult, brother, listen. If, if your common sense is telling you, this is not normal here, this doesn't, isn't normal, think about it. That's a bonus point. Apologies. Let's, let's move forward. 
the people here, the, boy, the main point is that the people are exploiting Jesus, isn't it? Because they are what? Spiritually blind. They, they cannot see their sinners. And they can't see that God is in front of them. This is what's amazing. This is God, by the way, they are pressing around. They try to crush. The Greek word, the original Greek of the words here, by the way, for crush and, and, and pressing, they present the crowd as a menace. Even more fearsome than the Pharisees in terms of the danger they posed to Jesus. And they can't see the crowd that Jesus is God and, and that there's a lot more he can do for them than just be a spiritual vending machine. They are blind. They want miracles, not salvation. And as I thought about that, I saw that exploitation of Jesus. Today, wherever we look, many people I mean, we could be here the whole day just pointing out the exploitation of Jesus. From the politicians who use Jesus' name for their political ends, to men and women in the church whose only interest is material gain. I think of the charlatans I like to usually mention. I can't pass on this pass without mentioning the charlatans that we see on television and YouTube like Kenneth Copeland and Paula White and T.J. Jets and Joe Austin and countless, countless African pastors whose only interest, only interest is to exploit others. Men and women who claim to worship Jesus but whose God is just their belly. They are serving Satan and leading many people astray. They are not preaching the cross. They are preaching health and wealth and the best life now. And again, today there's a lot of points I haven't actually thought about, but this is the point. I think, as I think about how much I love Christ, and as I see the church around us, many people in churches exploiting Jesus, I have to ask myself, don't I? If you even spent one minute watching some of that exploitation of Jesus, you are heading and abetting the exploitation. You're promoting that stuff. Turn YouTube off. Turn it off. It's exploiting Christ. It's exploiting Christ. Turn some of these TV channels off. Because you are contributing to the exploitation of Christ. We are not neutral bystanders. But as we think about what's out there, let us be honest about what's here. Because none of us here can stand here and say we are immune from exploiting Jesus. So at this point, all of us, as we look at the crowd here, we have to ask ourselves, can I see my face in the crowd? Am I following Jesus for Jesus? Or am I just here because I want things from him? Before I come to you, I just want to say, I ask myself this question. I ask myself all the time. In fact, every week, usually. Why am I in ministry? Is it to win your applause? Is it that somebody sitting over there or sitting over there can say, Chola, you have preached a sermon that I like and that I can be your best friend? Is it? I have to ask myself that. Am I here for you or am I here for Jesus? Uh, is my service for Jesus motivated in growing the church large in time so that the work may be easier? And who knows, perhaps I'll write a book or two. 
is that what I'm here for? I have to ask myself, this is not for you, this is for me. I, I ask myself these questions every week. Am I in it for him or to exploit him? Do I really love him? Is, it, is my face in this crowd? I have to ask myself that every week. Because my heart is deceitful. The human heart is deceitful. It's easy to deceive ourselves. And I just want to encourage you to ask myself that. I think it would be good if you also ask yourself the same question. Is your life about living for Jesus or to do his will? Is it for selfish reasons or do you really love Jesus? Maybe once you longed for Jesus. And there was a time you could say, I'm, just, I'm in it for the Lord. But as you think about now where you arrived, you, you see that Jesus no longer excites you as he once used to. Your heart has grown cold. If you like, you are once among the disciples, right, that are helping Jesus secure the board. But all of a sudden, things in life have happened that you have joined the crowd. You are pressing around Jesus. You are seeking now to exploit him. You are still perhaps a believer, but your relationship with Jesus has become about what you want. A wonderful marriage, money, career, and you frankly feel empty without those things. You see, when we follow Jesus because we believe he will give us these things, we are not worshipping Jesus. We are worshipping those things. We have to be honest about that. And if that is how your life is at the moment, and that's how you've been, then the danger is that if you remain like that, you probably have never come to a true knowledge of Jesus. You've never been truly born of God. So that's a big problem. It is. It's a big problem because Jesus deserves our true and heartfelt worship, not exploitation. And that is our final observation. Let's go to the final observation. Truth number one, many people are drawn to Jesus. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But there's a bad news. Truth number two, many people come to Jesus just to exploit him. And the tragedy is that many, even here today, are doing that. We are all tempted to do that. And here's what we need to remember, though, is that Jesus deserves worship, not exploitation. Let's rejoin Mark here. We see that the great crowd here see Jesus as nothing more than a healer. But there are two, there are two groups of people in this, this crowd. I just want to make you see that. There are people who are well, some of them, and some of them have got problems. And there are also demons, okay? There are human beings and there are demons in the crowd. Did you notice that? And the demons have a different opinion of Jesus. Let's read verse 11. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. The, the phrase they have fell down is based on an original New Testament Greek word that conveys an image of bowing down in homage. And they are not falling like this, okay? <laughs> they are falling forward. And as these people who are, possessed, who are sort of demonized are, are falling forward, they are bowing down in reverence and worship. 
They are being compelled by the glory of Jesus just to bow down and acknowledge him that he is the divine son of God. Let's read on this. Look at verse 11. You are the son of God. The holy one we read in the demons told us in Mark chapter 1 verse 24. They're just repeating what we've seen before. They acknowledge him. He is God. They are confirming the words of the Father from Mark chapter 1 verse 11. When the Father cried out, remember Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And here God has compelled the demons to say the same thing about Jesus. They're saying the truth. And what Mark is doing here is very important. Don't miss this point. What Mark is doing here is what we see in Mark is that sometimes he places contrasts. So he's given us a crowd here who should know better. They are not worshipping Jesus. They are exploiting him. And then he's given us the demons who we don't expect to care about Jesus. And they are bowing down in worship. He's telling us here that Jesus deserves worship. And that God in his providence has used the demons to declare that. And what's amazing here is that the demons have more of a correct theology than the crowd. They stand in awe of Jesus. And Jesus tells them to shut up. Look at verse 12. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And Jesus does not need the demons to speak on his behalf because he is God. And he wants people to find out on their own and acknowledge him as God. That's so loving about Jesus is that he wants us to find that out for ourselves. But notice also something important here. The worship of demons that they are giving Jesus has no real feeling, no real heart for Jesus. It is what we might call intellectual. The glory of God has compelled the demons to acknowledge Jesus. But they are not in love with Jesus. They, 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 they don't like him. And at this point, I realize this is the point of the passage, isn't it? The demons are reminding us that Jesus deserves worship. And one day, he will get worship from you whether you like it or not. How do I know that? Because of Philippians 2, verse 10 to 11. I believe my brother Nick might be dealing with this passage later on this year. Philippians 2, verse 10 to 11, or parts of it, says this. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Or shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So one day you will bow your knee before Christ. We all will. Just like the demons are doing. But the question for us this morning is this. Will you be compelled to bow to Jesus by force? Or will you bow freely because you love and belong to Jesus? What is it? Are you waiting to be forced? Or will you come willingly and bow before him? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus now as your loving God and King? Oh friends, people who, are truly, who truly worship Jesus have a deep sense that they are sinners. They have a deep sense of the wonder of Christ. They have a deep sense of how utterly sinful they are. They know they do not deserve the privilege of just being anywhere near Jesus. They don't deserve to worship God at all. They know they deserve eternal death. And they know that God in his rich mercy has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to pay the price for their exploitation of God. 
They know that. They know, they can see the good news of this passage. And they can see that the good news is this. Jesus, as I thought about it, I was so excited. Jesus here is not a victim. Really. Jesus is allowing himself to be exploited. Because he has come to stand in their place. And as I thought about this theme of exploitation of Jesus, I realized that the exploitation of Jesus will continue all the way to the cross. The crowd will get bigger, they want food, they want to be fed. They'll keep exploiting Jesus. The Pharisees will join in and Caiaphas and others will try their own exploitation of Jesus. Judas will personally profit with 30 pieces of silver on account of Jesus. And as Jesus dies there on the cross on Golgotha, the Roman soldiers will join in in plundering Jesus by casting lots for his last piece of cloth. From this moment on, it's exploitation of Jesus. Is that by accident? No. Because Jesus has come to be exploited. He has come to exchange his self-worth for our greed and shame. You see, in his exploitation, Jesus bestows on all who come to him his love. Can't you see it now? Can you see it? Can you see it? Whatever exploitation of Jesus you've done, if you're trusting in Jesus, it is nailed to the cross. Jesus has taken on himself all the exploitation you bring to him. And he has forgiven. And believers, true believers, are people who recognize that. They know that. They're like, yeah, I feel that. I feel I'm exploiting him. But thank you, Jesus, that you... I've been exploited for me. And they are overwhelmed with gratitude to God. So they now live in pursuit of Jesus. These people have been born again, transformed from within. They are not merely following Jesus for themselves. They are now in Christ. Friends, does this describe your faith in Jesus? Do you recognize some of this? You, you can see, yes, I exploit Christ, but I'm trusting in him for my sins. And that he's making me love him more and more. You need to take this issue seriously, friend, because it's not a matter for debate. You have either come across with Jesus and they're worshipping him in truth, or you are doomed with the evil spirits that are being cast out forever in hell. And some of you, of course, do love Jesus. Your heart is set on him. And even though sometimes you give in to the temptation to exploit Jesus, you do want him at the core. And your true worship of Jesus has not been easy. Some of you have strained family relationship because of your love for Jesus. If you wanted an easy life, you wouldn't carry the cross for that. Some of you have given up sinful relationship because you do not want to entangle yourself in sin. Why have you done that? You've done that because you want Jesus to be truly your number one priority in your life. You have taken up the cross to follow him. I know some of you are not as rich as you can be because you're always giving to Christ. Why are you doing that? You have embraced poverty, not for because you want to be blessed uh, with a private jet somewhere. No. But because you love Christ for him. 
And some of you are going through physical, mental pain. I know sense here that, 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 that it's, it's been struggle coming out on Thursdays or Saturdays. And, and they are here in the morning crying on Saturdays. It, I can see the pain in them. Why are they doing that? Here, why are they doing that? Not for the church. For Jesus. For Jesus. They know him. They love him. And every day, some of you are dying to yourself. Like Simon of Cyrene, you've taken up the cross of Jesus and you're not going with the crowd to crucify Christ. You are bearing the cross of the crucified Christ. Is that you? Well, beloved, if that's you, this passage is here to encourage you. Look again at these verses. See the grace of this passage. Look at Jesus, your Lord, here. Look at his grace, his tenderness, his power here. Look at how he reaches out to this crowd. Are you not amazed that even though they are pressing around him, Jesus still heals them? That's the grace of Christ, friends. And if Jesus perseveres like this for them who do not even know him, what more you who has repented and come to Jesus? If this is how Jesus treats non-believers with such tenderness, what about you who trust him? His power is for you. And look at how he confronts the demons. The demons bow down and say, you are the son of God. They can see his power. At the sight of Jesus, demons flee. This same power of Jesus is at work in you, Paul says in Ephesians, in those who believe. You have access to the power of Jesus. And he's using it every day for our benefit, if we are in Christ. So if you are trusting in Jesus, let this passage encourage you. Yes, sometimes you feel tempted to make living for Jesus about you. He knows that. He knows you're not perfect. So come, repent of that temptation. But above all, hold on to this Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Keep bowing to him for him. Because friends, there is no one more glorious, more beautiful, more marvelous, more wondrous than the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day we shall see him face to face and live forever with him. Our life, yes, even with our failures, is safe in his loving hands. So let us give him every day the worship he deserves. And let's run away from any temptation to exploit him. Amen.